Hello. That's how I say hello now. No, that's how I say hello now. You have to all deal with that. No. No, you don't think so? All right. Well, welcome to the show. That is Year of Self by the band Talk Time. This is Grant Pardee. My wife is Ashlyn Pardee. This together this is, is a Grashlyn Pardee. Yeah, this is are you having regrets. some regrets? What? I, yeah. Oh, I lost you at hello? <laughs> is that what happened? You don't like my ow? You don't like that? how that sounds? Yeah, it was you weird. You think that's off-putting? You think the listeners are going to just... Uh, I think the viewers are going to be unhappy. Yeah. There's no... For how many times, honey? There's no viewers. There's, there's there no are viewers. some listeners. There are some listeners... There's no viewers. Okay. This is an I, audio. I'm, I'm getting production. it. I'm getting it. I'm understanding. Yeah. And you're not even, you're not even like you, you say viewer often, but you're, neither of us are in a position to be on camera right now. We're in our pajamas. Well, you're in your pajamas with, uh, the, you know, surrounded by cats. I'm, I'm in the dark garage. We're not really ready for they, uh, the camera. Are they pajamas if you wore them to a meeting? Good question. That is the like, that's the pandemic question. What is a pajama? Yeah. What is a pajama and what's, you know, everything's, everything's closed now. How was your meeting today? What was your meeting today? Oh, I had a meeting about one of the freelance projects I was working on. Um, it was good. They gave us more time. They seem to love just giving us more time for everything. A rare freelance thing where they're like more time. But part of the reason is because they don't. Anyways, it's a long story. Well, it's, is this freelance thing one of your storyboard things, or is this one of the the book things? Oh, storyboard things. So, can you say what else can you say about it? Can you say oh, what I can't uh, say much. streamer? It's all NDA. Even even who made it, mm. it's all yeah. Okay, that's like the weird thing. So I think animation is even worse for that than live action because everything takes so long. Yeah. That you'll be like, oh, yeah, I worked on this project, but I can't tell you what it is because it hasn't, it hasn't been, been announced yet. yet. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so it always makes it sound a lot cooler than it is, though. Not that it's no, not it's, cool. Yeah. It is cool. It is cool. But it always sounds like, ooh, it's a secret. That must mean it's it must be juicy. What could it be? And then the thing comes out and you're like, oh, it was, it was just a thing. Remember that thing? Yeah. Did you even see it? No, there was too much content flying at my face. I don't I don't know what's going on. Yeah. We're recording this in Los Angeles. Thursday, March 4th, 7 p.m., still in pandemic times uh, for us in, in L.A., uh, still social distancing. So this is a podcast where Ashlyn and I get together. We make, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. We used to let it go straight to an hour, but now we're trying to be more considerate for the listener of about 45, 50 minutes. And anyway, this is a show where we just talk. It's just conversations. There's not really a grand theme other than that, it's uh, it's bore core. It's interesting adjacent. We don't plan the questions. We just kind of let the conversation go where it flows, baby. That's what it's we kind do. Kind of like interesting lives on the west side, and we're driving in from the valley. Okay, that's really. That's, I don't know if that's adjacent. I would have said more like we're actually in mid city, uh, and it, it interesting's on the west side, but. Yeah. Well, this you think podcast. We're really, you think we're really far away from being interesting, then? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just. I mean, I don't know. I. I was just saying that's. I mean, that's borecore. Borecore is something you would listen to when you're driving from the valley to the west side. You know, I've been thinking about really committing to this borecore thing and starting like a separate podcast where we just read like recipes and Wikipedia articles oh, with like a friend guest. Awesome. You yeah, know, you I, went, I went and saw a slam poetry show once 
um, and a guy just read Martha Stewart's recipe for chicken um, as his like slam poem, and it was really good. That's cool. When was this? Uh, oh gosh, maybe two, three, two, three years ago. It's a, the slam poetry in uh, Fairfax. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, I remember when you went. That's right. No, we can't go now. Or maybe I don't know. You don't need to be super close for slam poetry. You could just be. There's a, there's probably virtual events. I would think virtual slams. Hey, speaking of virtual events, the guest today tonight. It, <clears throat> it, well, this is a virtual event, but uh, our my friend that I'm going to introduce to you is a producer of such virtual events. He's a producer of uh, late night comedy style shows that happened live and now happen, I believe, entirely virtually, although he can speak more on it. We have been, I said more on it. Now I feel like, okay, I didn't call him a moron. That's not what I was doing. I just said more on the subject. Um, And also, so he, uh, so Gil and I have known each other through comedy circles for a little while, but it is more recently through Clubhouse, a theme of this podcast, because Lately, I've been on Clubhouse a lot. We've reconnected this is there, also and our friendship sponsored by uh, it's sponsored by Clubhouse. Actually, it should be. It really should be sponsored by Clubhouse. It really, really should be sponsored. But uh, okay, let we me have to introduce our guest. Let, let me introduce you to Gil Barron, ladies and gentlemen. Gil Barron. Gil, was that's that? How I, that's how I say hello. How's that, Ashlyn? You into that? That's I how like you that. say hello to people. It's, I mean, I think it would be threatening if you had finger guns and you went pew, 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 but What if they otherwise... were aimed in the air? Oh, then that's just celebratory. I love that. Yeah. What if I was, what if I was rooting and tooting? <laughs> exactly. We were in the, we had a, we had a mind link there. He said rootin' and tootin'. I said Yosemite Sam. We were right yeah. there. Gil and I have been uh, kicking it on Clubhouse. Gil, was I accurate in describe? I, I feel like you can explain more to us about your shows. You you have one coming up. Do you want to start by telling yeah, us a little bit about this? Two really big ones coming up. So yeah, um, I have so I produced two shows on Nowhere Comedy Club. Uh, if if your listeners don't know, Nowhere Comedy Club is an entirely virtual comedy club uh, started by um, Ben Glebe and Steve Hofstetter. So it really has great comedy bona fides. That's how you say that bona fides, bona fides. They have been so great with us. And we started at the pack theater and the two shows are one is called set flicks and it is a comedy game show in the vein of at midnight. And, um, we, we have comedians play comedy games that are all about the movies. Hence set flicks. You guys get it. Um, and our new permanent judge on the show is is Jimmy Pardo. He's starting this month. He's going to be a permanent judge uh, on the show. And this month's contestant... Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Pardo, honestly, is a human legend. And our guests this month are Kristen Studdard and Danielle Perez and Royce Shockley. So if you're familiar with the L.A. comedy scene, this is honestly uh, a murderer's row. It's honestly one of the best lineups we've ever had. And every month we're hosted by Nikki Urban, who's also just a a complete gem and a completely hilarious person. Um, So that's the first show I have coming up, and that's coming up on March 13th. So next Saturday night, you can get your tickets at NowhereTime.com or NowhereComedyClub.com. It's going to be insane. It's going to be super, super fun. 
and the other show I have coming up is called Your Late Night Show Tonight. It's a talk show that we've been doing for about four years. Like I said, we started at the Pack Theater. And what it is is every month, a different comedian hosts their very own late night show. So we take 30 days every single month to build a talk show from the ground up with a different comedian, completely in their voice, completely in their point of view, all about who they are as a person. So we've had amazing comics like Alonzo Bowden and Jerry Minor and Drew Drogi, Jade Catapretta, Tone Bell, like amazing people. Uh, El Jefe from NoFX. Uh, and this month, uh, it just continues the upward trend. We have Ari Stidham, who you know from the TV show Scorpion um, and from doing amazing live shows around town. He's going to be hosting his very own talk show, and his guest is going to be the legendary Tina Majorino, who you probably remember from being in Napoleon Dynamite. You know, the girl with the side pony. Uh, she was also the little kid in Waterworld. She was the little girl in the movie Andre with the seal. It's We got blockbuster stuff coming up. And that's going to be on March 19th, also at Nowhere Comedy Club. So all these tickets are available. Uh, don't at me. Wow. At Nowhere Comedy Club. That, that was a pretty good spiel. That was a, you know, I I know Nikki oh, Urban. No, we, we worked together at uh, the LA Film School, I believe. Um I think that is how we came across you. So she's a comedian and an actress uh, and a talent. But I think we worked together at a horrible uh, place once. And man, Jimmy Pardo, that was like the uh, that was the first podcast I was ever obsessed with. Uh, however many however many years ago now, he uh, was he was the first one. Really, you ever listened to? Uh, probably not Ashlyn. That that would. I'm, I'm now I'm even blanking on what the name of the show is. Oh, never not funny. Never not funny. I kept thinking podcast because I think he's got another one. I think Anywho. he does. Yeah. <clears throat> Anywho, uh, that's cool and exciting. That sounds fun. Uh, NowhereComedyClub.com is where to get the tickets. Is that right? Hello. Ha, ha, hello. <laughs> Hi, hello. Pew, 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 Hi, hello. Yeah, that's pretty much the podcast is just uh, saying words and then there's air horns in there. For a while, there was a. Uh, 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 Austin Powers sound clip that mm. has gladly been lost to the ether. So yeah, Boy, now we're just telling you about podcasts of podcast past podcast podcast pod pod pasts. Yeah, uh, that's what it, it should be called. I bet I bet you there's a university somewhere that's got a course called Pod Pasts: The History of Podcasting. A liberal arts university has that somewhere. Definitely a private university, like a University of Phoenix. And they're definitely stealing your money. That's the kind of school that uh, Nikki Urban and I worked at. Yeah, it was uh, it was similar to that. I, I don't think she would disagree with this uh, assertion by me. I remember the LA Film School very fondly. Sure. I didn't go there or anything, but I, I remember working with those kids a lot. Yeah, they, they it produces great graduates. I worked on the career development side, so uh, it was that was gratifying to be able to try to help them find work and then we did a stand-up show there for a little bit uh also as a means to like hire grads to like film sets and stuff for a minute it was a long time ago now oh boy long time ago now <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. So gil, um, gil how do you find doing comedy over digitally like how has that transition been for you you know it's interesting because both of the show formats are very tv you know, rooted, like, you know, one is a game show and the other is a late night talk show. So it was almost 
harder to figure out how to adapt them for stage, you know? So um, not that, I mean, we, they were doing very well and we we're very happy to be at the pack. We love the pack theater, um, but certainly, you know, both formats have their roots in television. So um, doing them on zoom and figuring out just how to do all the graphics and all of the, the art for it and all of the, you know, over the shoulder stuff and, and slideshows um, that's been essentially the most difficult part, but there's definitely a, a model for it because we can watch both formats on television and say, okay, well, this is what the rhythm of it should be. This is how it should feel, you know? So it's almost and, like going back to its roots. And you've been doing it for a while, right? These shows you've been, uh, how long has it been? Uh, how long have we been doing the shows at all or digitally? Well, digitally is more recently, right? But uh, how long yeah. in general? So uh, your late night show um, is going to be coming up on five years this summer. Yeah. And cool. so it's just been, a long time. And that's my baby. I love doing that show. Um, you know, we're working on, on development stuff for that to try and make it a bigger show. Uh, uh, Setflix, I think came along a year, year and a half later. So yeah, a good three years with that one. Um, and both of them are just so fun. And, you know, what's wonderful about how the pack theater operated. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with them, but you know, just the whole vibe over there was very entrepreneurial, uh, very DIY. So people very quickly were like, as soon as the pandemic hit was like, well, we're going to, Clearly, we're gonna all gonna move on to Twitch because Twitch is um, a, a medium that you know the infrastructure was already there. It was very easy for us to just to be like, okay, this is how you do it. You got to have an OBS and it goes through the thing. Okay, let's figure this out. And our shows were off to the races. They didn't stop. They just continued on as shows. Um, and we've done we did some of our best shows there. And um, in the fall we got in touch with nowhere and we were like, you know, I was seeing, um, you know, people making money at this online comedy thing. And I was like, well, the only difference between people who are making money at it and us is just the fact that they're making money. The technology was exactly the same, right? People doing stand up shows, people doing, you know, all sorts of shows around town. And the literally the only difference was, was nothing. It was just that they were making money at it. So we just decided to do that. And we uh, hooked up with Nowhere. Uh, thank God we had some connections with them. And they were super on board and, and loved having, you know, a different variety of show there because most of the other stuff on their channel is is stand-up, obviously. Mm. Five years. Long time. Long time. Nice oh, you long time. You think I should quit? No, I think it's a lot. I think five years is a long time to go without booking. What if this was an intervention? What if this was an intervention to tell you to stop? I mean, the way you said "long time" kind of felt judgy. I kind of feel like, oh my god, if I'm if Grant and Ashland think, no, no, that can't be it, can it? No, we encourage you to keep going. We encourage you to keep going. We encourage you to keep going. I mean, we've been making this Borkor podcast. You for know, about a month, two for months. For about a month. And, two months. And I think imagining doing something for five, I don't think I've done it. Like, it just is amazing to see that amount of long, long je- longevity. I was going to say long, longevity. Longevity. Um, Both are right. Also, let me yeah. paint a little bit more of a picture of Gil. Gil's a, a super nerd. He also is a, he's a community guy. He's been doing uh, Torah 
readings on Clubhouse and, and elsewhere. Oh, cool. I think. Is that right, yeah. Gil? That's right. Um, so uh, last year I started teaching Hebrew school uh, on Wednesdays, and this year my curriculum for that is teaching Torah portions. So um, I figured might as well uh, crowdsource that because I'm I'm not a scholar, I'm not a rabbi, I'm just a guy who's reading the Torah for the first time, really. And so I'm not, I a, scholar. The... <laughs> I'm not a rabbi. I'm just a guy who. Sorry, that's it had a real musical thing to what you're saying. We Keep also, going. Gil, just so you know, there was also some weird singing on this podcast. No, that's fine. I mean, it's a I'm it's a Jewishy a thing, is to kind of talk in a sing song way. Like as soon as I get into Torah talk, like I find myself talking like this, and you understand <laughs> that, like you know, Moses is doing this, and you got to go from here to there. You do um, the little lilt at the end. You got to got to do the, 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 the what is that called? Upspeak. Yeah, whatever it is, it's very it, – it happens as soon as we start talking Torah. So Sunday nights on Clubhouse, we we talk about the Parsha. The, if you guys don't know, a Parsha is essentially the weekly segment of the Torah that gets read that week. Uh, it includes, you know, three to four chapters uh, of Torah, and, you know, each chapter is something like 30 to 40 verses. So it's not that crazy. Um, you call but- it talking Torah? <laughs> Uh, we call it Torah talk. Maybe I should call it talking Torah. Maybe that gets some more people. But you know, so far it's just been like rabbis pop in, normal people pop in, anyone with an opinion, people who don't have opinions and are super scared to share their opinions. You know, you you, you bring up something like Bible or Torah, and people get intimidated right away. And in the end, like it's just uh, what I want to say to Jews, especially Jews who get a little scared of of diving into the Torah is, you know, this is yours. Like nobody can take it away from you. It's yours to play with. It's yours to interpret as you will. Um, and whether you are completely secular or completely religious or anywhere in between, it belongs to you and nobody can take that away. And that's uh, the message I hope that I give to people on clubhouse is that like, you know, it doesn't matter how many rabbis come in and say, this is the interpretation. It's yours. It belongs to you. And so you get to interpret it however you like. That sounds really nice. I mean, I'm not yeah. Jewish, but I'm I'm interested. Yeah, get into it, man. It's just a, it's just a Torah. It's just a Torah. <laughs> We're just, just like reading in English. You know, it's just a story, right? And uh, in the end, it's it's a, it's one of those really early pieces of literature um, that like gives you a lot of insight into the rest of Western literature. You know, you start reading and you're like, oh, okay, I get what Joseph Campbell was talking about. It all starts here and maybe maybe before the Torah even. But, you know, it certainly is one of those, um, you know, depending on how how much credence you want to give to God or whatever, it is just an ancient piece of literature that is really interesting to dissect. Ashlyn, how much do you know about the Torah? Um, Not that much. Yeah, uh, either. I think honest, if I had to take a quiz right now, uh, just to be able to like identify certain anything, I, I think I would do very bad. Yeah, I mean, I don't I think don't they know. they don't teach. I feel like they don't do enough. Like secular is the wrong word, but like I I think they should teach all religions in school. Yeah, um, just well, so like, you can have uh, a basic. Just so you can have a base a baseline, right? Because I feel like if you're if you're not in the community, then it, then it all just becomes Greek to me. Of like, I yeah. just like I, I don't know. I would like to. Know. I don't know. Did you guys learn Greek mythology at any point in school? Yes. 
Yeah, I, I think that it should at least be taught in at that level of like, yeah. you know, this is uh, Jewish mythology that, of course, morphs into, you know, Muslim and, and Christian theology. And, you know, uh, you can teach that at the same kind of level as like, this is what the ancient Egyptians believed and the Greeks and the Romans and, and the Mesopotamians and whomever else, you know. Yeah. I think it's cool. What I like the, what I like most about it is just that you you spend the time to uh, you know give back. You know, I, I like that. I like that that character that that reveals that you you know you don't have to be doing that. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I like talking to kids. The kids are crazy, but you know it's great. Like they could care less, of course, about the Torah. I mean, you all, everybody went to Hebrew school or Sunday school of some sort. You know the level of interest that they, that it garners in children. Well, for me, I was, I was, I grew up raised vaguely Roman Catholic and they'd made us go to CCD classes. Oh, so they like made you study the Roman gods? I guess. Not really. It was I all just really like Jesus. Neptune and hey, what's CCD? What's that? I don't even know what it stands for. Catholic community detention. That's what it felt like. Uh, it was just like an after school thing that you had to go to and then they'd do, I don't know. I, I was, the, my, my whole relationship with it was always very like. Uh, you know, obligatory of like, I guess I got to do this. My parents were like, I guess you got to do this. We, nobody seemed to know one way or the other. They're like, okay. And then at the end, you do a confirmation, you get some money, you buy a Sega Genesis. You oh, shit, go. You've been confirmed. Yeah. I, wow, I went wow, through the wow. whole thing and to be confirmed. Yeah. No, I'm talking to a confirmed man over here. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't identify as, as Catholic or Roman Catholic or any, anything. Yeah, but you know, I hear that from Jews a lot too, and my whole spiel to them, like I said at the beginning of this thing, is it belongs to you no matter what. No matter how much you want to get away from it, it's yours to do with what you want. So you can come back to it, you can do the the salad bar thing that I know Catholics like to use that metaphor. You know, you can come in and and, and uh keep what uh what what guides you keep what warms your heart keep what fills you up and uh and let go of the things that don't you know it, yeah. it belongs to you so just you a know, lot of guilt i feel like the mid midwest catholic upbringing is just like repressing your feelings and then inexplainable inexplicable guilt yeah uh, but that's, yeah. that's yours to do with what you want too you're allowed to hold on to it or let it go you know all right fine um <laughs> <laughs> all right that's fine. the greatest uh greatest therapy revelation all right fine yeah yeah that's exactly. true that's that's come from my my therapy sessions is just uh my therapist like say all right fine and then sort of like segue into what else is going on and i kind of I just kind of like that tone of it um you guys it is thursday night and it is the eve of the wandavision finale <laughs> it is yeah uh, so, I mean, look, I'm just, I, I have to segue to it because it's what's on my mind. It's what I'm, I really, it's like the one thing that I'm like, I, I want to know talking to me. You've been sitting here thinking about WandaVision. <laughs> yeah. Wow. A little bit, a little bit. Haven't you? you? Isn't it, isn't it playing a little bit in the back of your mind? Isn't it kind of like tickling the, the nerves in your brain of like, what's going to happen on WandaVision? Well, it's three and a half hours away or four and a half hours. Like I'm fine. I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. Like I, I was a, a Marvel intern way back when. Uh, in 2008, I interned at Marvel Studios. I was there for Iron Man and Hulk, uh, which oh, was wow. really, really cool. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, for me, I mean, I think the show is great. I think the show is absolutely fantastic. I've been loving it. Uh, I cannot get It Was Agatha all along out of my head. It, uh, I think the worst part of it is that it spoils that reveal. Like, that's the worst part of that being in your head because it became such a meme immediately. And everyone's like, okay, clearly it was Agatha all along. Okay. Like, no one is, nobody who's a casual fan is ever going to be able to go into that show now and not know that it was Agatha all along, right? Like, have you ever seen Citizen Kane? You know what Rosebud is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I think the Rosebud reveal still hits. I I watch Citizen Kane once every two, three years. I think the Rosebud reveal is still really good. I just think, you know, and that song is just so good, the Agatha all along. Like, as a a play on the whole Munsters um, song style, Oh my god! I, d- I love the monsters theme. I loved the monsters growing up, um, especially like I always wished that they did an Adams Family crossover. I wish that some. Uh, I know it's heartbreaking that it never that never happened, right? It seems like such a layup. Seems like such a obvious thing, and, and never. I was also obviously kid, and and not in the movies or anything. I wish that somebody would come along and do a pilot set in the modern day that is Wednesday and Eddie Munster living together, trying to make it work. If you could only have one wish to come true and that was it. That's it. That's the one. How would you feel? That would be the one you'd feel pretty content. All right. That's a pretty good wish. Wow. It's a selfless wish. I want it for other people. (laughs) Yeah. I think everyone would like it. And I, you know, I just thought the, yeah, the Agatha all along as a play on the Munsters theme was just so, Perfect. They just did it so smartly. And I think that's Catherine Hahn singing in it, right? It Probably. sounds like her. I think so. I don't know. I didn't really didn't really break it down and listen. I don't think we've have we rewatched any of the episodes since they came out, Ashley. I think we just watched each one once. Uh yeah. Right. I think that it's really rewatchable. Unlike a lot of the streaming shows. Um, and I think that one of the things that makes it so rewatchable is that they're half hours. Half hours, maybe forty-five minutes at the most. Yeah, and so hey, you, you mentioned. Sit down that, and, no, sorry. No, I'm saying you could sit down. You could watch three of them in a row and just feel good about it. Like you don't have to feel like you wasted a whole day watching binging an hour-long TV show. You there are little half-hour snippets, so you can get through two of them. You know, like even you know, depending on when this ends, our conversation. Uh, you guys could sit down and watch the last two in preparation of catching up, or, or three of them. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Hey, you mentioned <laughs> Citizen Kane. What did you What did you think of uh, Mank? Did you watch Mank? I haven't watched Mank yet. Okay, just curious because you know it's about uh, the yeah. writing. It's so. I remember but, years I ago they did a TV movie on HBO that was about the making of um, that movie. I don't recall that, but it doesn't surprise me. It seems like Citizen Kane would invite that kind of. Uh, I'm surprised that there's not more. Yeah, Yeah, I'm surprised there's not more, frankly. And it seems like it's a divisive reaction to Mank uh, from people I've talked to who really love Citizen Kane of whether or not they like it or dislike it. So when you do see it, I'll be curious for your take. I think Gary Oldman is a room divider. Yeah, Mm, interesting. I think there are people who love everything he does. And I think there are people who are like, you know, he uh, beat his wife, right? And then you're just like, all right, I'm going to look into it. And then nobody ever does. Wait, I didn't did know you, that. I didn't know that. Apparently, like, he hit his wife with a phone. Oh, oh my wow. God. Yeah. 
and um you know i don't know what the story i it's not something that like i sit and look into so i don't know maybe you guys want to open up the wikipedia at some point on your own but yeah i believe the the charge was that he hit her with a with a phone jesus yeah well Well, that's bad yeah it's real bad and you're like getting work so i think that like at least some of the divisiveness is like i don't know gary oldman man like do i like clearly he hasn't been quote unquote canceled yet but you know who knows if those things will come like you never know which one of these open secrets in hollywood is like going to hit next like the joss whedon thing right like Mm -hmm. people people knew about joss whedon's behavior people you know worked with him it's not like it was a secret Particularly at the studio level, like they know what's going on, and they they just they just choose to ignore it or try to you know push well, it away or. Yeah, if if somebody makes enough money, they're willing to like hide a lot of stuff. I feel like. I don't know uh, that it took that much active hiding. I just think they were like, "We're not going to do anything about this," and just by virtue of not actively stopping it, mm-hmm. that that is hiding, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a pretty it's monstrous all around the entertainment industry. There's no, oh, yeah. there's like it's just uh, parasitic and and horrible, and yet we're all striving and dreaming because we're storytellers and we're artists, and that's where you go and what you try to do. In this yeah, look, I just want to get into it so I can make it better. I'm crossing my fingers. Um, <laughs> I'm here to make it, you know, better. No, I'm just gonna be just as bad as everyone else. You know, that's how we no, go. You won't. No, you won't. I'll be okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be pushing my Jewish agenda, trying to get uh, some Torah study into some of these projects. That would be, I mean, just do, be I so mean, old. what about, okay, here's my idea, my pitch. Go on, okay? please, please. My Drunk History, but it's you reading the Torah, and it's called My Drunk Torah. I mean, I'm on board. Is that <laughs> we're starting this podcast? Um, yeah, the, and that's, you, and it, yeah, it's all you can have. It's all proprietary for you. You can have you have all full rights to it. This whole podcast, as a matter of fact, you can buy yeah. and sell this whole podcast, whatever you want to do with it. Actually, by doing this podcast, or, you actually legally own us as human beings from now on. Wow, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> you guys give your guests a really good deal. Yeah, yeah, we um, we just hand you like a blank piece of paper with uh, our social security card on it and uh we say do with it what you will you you were willing to hang out for a bit so we are whatever you do with 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 us what you please this has to be the best rider in all of entertainment i would say so um it's it's definitely pretty lopsided um so i mean who's your lawyer i would fire that guy a cat oh my gosh yeah cat lawyer um, cat, cat lawyer, lawyer. <laughs> cat lawyer, the cat lawyer, meow, 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 meow. Um, we've been on Clubhouse. Mr. Whiskers, here. you are out of order, and you are out of adorable. Meow, <laughs> uh, meow, 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 meow. We've been on Clubhouse a lot, Gil. Um, how are you like, are you getting, are, are you getting burnt out on it? Are you still liking it? Are you finding like, I've, I've been finding it nice to sort of like to reconnect with you or connect yeah. with you maybe. Um, there are for sure moments when I'm starting to feel burnt out. I think um, it's a thing. It's a conversation you and I've had several times now, but you know, I think that 
having an audio format is really interesting because I think unlike other social media like Twitter or Facebook, you are forced to recognize the humanity in the person you're talking to, right? You can't just dismiss this person. You can't just say, what a fucking idiot, right? You have to recognize that this is a person just by you're hearing their actual voice, you know? Um, so I think even in controversial rooms, it has kept things from getting as heated as I would see maybe on Facebook just by virtue of that. And I think that's really, really important, especially in our time now when like everything is so polarized, right? So to put yourself in a conversation in ways that might make you uncomfortable is really, really interesting. Um, as far as burnout, yeah, there are times when I'm feeling burnt out uh, on it because, um, uh, you know, it just depends what you're in the mood for, right? Like I'm definitely in those bit rooms. I'm in comedy rooms. I'm in all that sort of thing. Uh, and I know that like to build my brand or to build my networking, I have to be in like super giant thousand person rooms and somehow make my way on stage. But all I want is to be in a room of six to 10 people and go around and say like, what's your favorite color? You know, what book are you reading right now? Like just to have a, an intimate one-on-one -on -one conversation with a person. And that's all I really want any time in any kind of social interaction. Right. I don't yeah, know. How do you feel about it? That, I mean, very similarly, uh, it, although I, I don't know if I want followers on there or not. So I don't, I'm, I, I like doing the, the comedy and the, the bit rooms for the, the play of it. Um, but I get, uh, I just sort of have this feeling of, of, uh, repulsion seems too strong of a word, but that kind of feeling of like, I don't know if I want to be trying to chase, um, being clubhouse, in clubhouse fame or, or whatever it is and, and, and what to what to do with it. And, and, and also if it's the right way to use the platform to just kind of be doing, I mean, I think it's, we've, you know, I think we should do uh, the reading Spider-Man comics idea like on there. I think we should do that. And then maybe that could be its own podcast or something. I, so I'm interested in some of the high, the high concept stuff. I'm, but waiting mostly I'm, I'm waiting for you to do that. You know, I think, look, based on what you've told me about how you guys have your thing set up, probably, I need to lean on you as a producer to help get, uh, cause I mean, if we, Oh, well now he's trying to put me to work. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, here's the thing. We just need to schedule people. We need to like book people and schedule them and then just do it, which is theoretically pretty simple. Um, but also you know, hard one, enough. Step one is start a Google doc. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, ugh, it, maybe it's just an idea that will never happen. <laughs> I, but I think it'd be fun to see Google Doc. The ship was lost. Ashlyn, <laughs> can you start a Google Doc. I mean, I can start a Google Doc. I love Google Docs. All right. See, and see, Ashlyn did this idea with me uh, two years ago when I had the idea. We recorded a couple episodes with our friends Caitlin Hempstead and Jesse Elias, but then it came to editing right, it. I was bragging like, about who your friends are. Jeez, this guy, yeah. right? Oh my God. Um, and anyway, yeah, it came time to editing it and then didn't do it. So I think if we just did it live, live, I think it would be cool. It's just, um, 
you know, who do you book for it? What time do you do? Do you have visuals in there with like, so you can see the comic panels or do you do it just all theater of the mind? You These know, are the questions. organize all of those questions. Google doc. I, you know. Google doc. Yeah. Google doc. But, Google the, but what is a Google, Google doc, doc other than just a way to talk? Google doc. Google doc. We've actually been sponsored by Google doc today. Use code Grashlin party for, Unlimited free Google Docs. Wow. Really great deals. Really yeah. great. Uh, Gil, let's talk about some nerd stuff for God's yeah. sakes. What are you guys reading right now? Are you guys reading any comics? What's going on with you guys? Are you getting into this King and Black stuff? Are you getting into Future State? What's happening on the comics side? Is it just I me? Did read, I did read some Future State. It's it's just you. I did read some Future State at your recommendation and didn't like it. So then I Which stopped. Which one did you read? Did you read the ones I liked or did you read just anything? No, I read the next Batman, uh, yeah. a couple issues of that, and, and I was kind of disappointed. So I sort of stopped. Yeah, uh, just because it's bad. Yeah. I did enjoy the history of the DC universe. So good. The other history. Like, oh, my God. John Ripley. History. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. So good. But isn't Ridley also writing Batman? Yeah, it's the same writer. You're right. Um, but look, I think that the other history of the DCU. So if anybody doesn't know, John Ridley is uh, an Oscar winning screenwriter. He wrote 12 Years a Slave. Um, he does columns. He's a really prolific writer. Um, and he was hired by DC Comics um, to write a, a new Batman book. Um, so they wanted to bring in a, an African-American Batman, uh, which is a great, clever idea. And I think that he actually thought about it in a really smart way, um, which is, you know, Batman himself is kind of a right wing idea. It's kind of like a fascistic idea, right? The idea is that the cops don't do enough to stop crime and there's this corrupt city and it's poor and, um, everything's going to hell and who's going to protect upstanding citizens from the criminal element. Well, this rich white guy is going, who saw a crime one time in his whole life, uh, has, has then it completely broke him, has decided to bring violence to the streets and he is going to end violence through might makes right because he's better than everyone. Uh, he's sort of the, uh, the Randy and fantasy, right? Um, the wealthy guy is also the smartest guy and is also the most physically fit guy. And he is going to punch crime out of existence. Right. And John Ridley took that formula. He's like, okay, well there's something that is very white about Batman just as an idea, right? Just at its core conceptual level. I'm not saying Batman has to be a white person. I'm saying there's something very white about the way the character is, is put together. And he's like, well, I want, to make this character a black man, how do I do that? And so instead of setting it against a world of of um, corrupt, uh, ineffectual cops, he sets his Batman in a world of fascism, in a dystopia where the cops are too effective, are so effective that they are causing terror. They are um, scaring normal people. Normal people can't do normal things. It's basically Blade Runner, right? They're they're in a future where, uh, but it's Gotham city and every police officer is Batman now, right? They all have uh, a Batmobile and, uh, and a supercomputer and they're all, you know, super highly trained and shoot their guns. And 
you need to have a Batman that stands against fascism. And it totally makes sense that that Batman would be a black man. And I think that is really fascinating that he took that tact. Now, the actual plot of it is boring and doesn't work and it's drawn out. And I think that's a function of future state as a concept, like as a, mm-hmm. as a line wide initiative. I don't think it works, but conceptually I see where he was going with it. So I'm on board. And the other thing he's writing is this other history of the DC universe. He wanted to, to jump into the DC universe and really get his hands dirty and, and rewrite some classic stories from the perspective of heroes of color. So the first one he did was um, black lightning and each of these books is a big prestige format and it has really beautiful artwork. And most of the stuff is written in kind of prose as opposed to like comic book panels or bubbles, right? Mm -hmm. Most of it's prose. And he has, the first one was black lightning and he goes through the entire history of black lightning from his perspective and shows the conflict he had with the justice league and with Batman and the outsiders and with Superman and all of these things. And then the second one is told from the perspective of, uh, of Harold and Bumblebee, which are two original teen Titans characters from the old, like Nick Cardi teen Titans series and have been brought back kind of throughout the decades. Um, but just saying like, these are the two black teen Titans and what was their life like being in this world where, you know, their best friends were all these superheroes who kind of forgot about them and moved on and started new teams and whatever. So it's fascinating. Both books were top notch, a plus efforts. That's what I have to say about those comics right now. I, I agree. I especially like uh, the, the point you're making about uh, the direction Ridley took with the next Batman and uh, trying to, build a less Randian fantasy version uh, of the character, which is definitely right. I mean, it, it is there in the abstract of it, although I don't, I don't know how much, I mean, I don't know. We like comic books, but we're not, I, I, I assume we're not Randian right wing fanatics. Is right. that something that you feel like you wrestle with or is it, or some, you know, sometimes you can view it as you can view superheroes through like a bit of a leftist lens, but maybe it seems like a stretch uh, because it is very often. Really depends on the hero, right? Because, yeah. you know, there's a billion superheroes out there and every superhero is built on different foundations. Um, I do think Batman falls into kind of a right wing kind of fantasy. Um, but clearly over the years, over the years, there's just adventure stories, right? So it's I was going to say that part of the reason that it's a right wing fantasy is because of the origin story, right? Be- yes, which, sure. which is almost sort of, I think, with the character with Batman is al- sometimes beside the point because. Yeah, I agree. It's it's more like you know Batman is the the thing of dressing like an outsider, feeling like an outsider, be you know feeling outside of society, uh, kind of thing. And then Bruce Wayne is really just like, how do you reverse and how does somebody become Batman? And then it's just like thinking like reverse engineering. Well, it's be, have to be somebody with a lot of money. It would have to be somebody who's really hates crime. And so then it kind of becomes, because it's like, I don't, I don't know, or maybe I guess Bill Finger was the co you know, Bill Finger being the co-creator of Batman was, or, you know, it later created the question, uh, character who was even more of a, Did he have the, wasn't that Steve Ditko? You know what? You're right. I'm I'm mistaking. Uh, I'm I'm misplacing Ditko and Spider Man and, and, right. and Batman. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think 
I think that look superheroes, especially in the fifties and sixties, um, they came from adolescent power fantasy, right? And if you're going to take that as the source of anything, like what a 12 year old boy wants in whatever way to express his power is not a rational way to express your power. It's not a rational way to become a hero. If it comes from, you know, I just want to be stronger than everybody. And that's clearly where the stuff, a lot of it comes from. It's going to have some of that problematic stuff to it, because again, it's meant to appeal to 12 to 14 year old boys who don't have a great understanding of nuance and what the sources of crime are, right? They see crime out on the street. Boy, I wish that I could sweep that up. And they don't know that there are roots of that and there are better ways to take care of it. And I think that any good Batman writer generally, you know, writes stories where he takes care of the homeless and where he gives jobs to former crooks and those kind of things, right? Those are all in continuity. Those moments where, he actually takes care of the poor and all of that. But I was just saying at a base level from that origin, it right. feels very right way. Mm-hmm. Now I would say that the Super- Batman that we grew up on was like the Denny O'Neill Batman, where it was like as, as maybe left leaning as you get the, yeah. as you would sort yeah, of get out of the character. But it's in, I I, the, kind of where I'm driving at with this too, is to connect it back to the, uh, the stuff we were talking about, about uh, the Torah and, and Jewish mythology, because all superheroes, all superheroes are created by Jewish creators, right? And this, the idea of a secret identity seems to me, I'm not Jewish, I'm curious of your take on it, uh, it seems to me to be like the, you know, they're created in the 30s and the 60s in response to fascism in Europe, right? And it's and the thing of being able to, you change your name, you can blend in with white society, are Jewish people not, you know, it's it, the secret identity seems like a Jewish tradition or an identity How aspect dare you sir wow i didn't think i was coming up on this podcast to be given anti-semitic tropes <laughs> um, is that an anti-semitic trope well a little bit you know if you definitely had the idea of like the jews are hiding among us is no, no, definitely an anti-semitic trope i mean you know if you ever saw like they live or stuff like that that's definitely considered um like, I'm just talking uh, about as a as a fact of, as a fact of the matter, right? Like Stan, Stan Lee has to change his name to be able to become more acceptable, right? Like that's that's a decision right. that, that was made. I'm not saying it's that. anti-Semites use that to attack Jewish people all the time. I mean, how many times did you see people attack um, John Stewart while he was on The Daily Show, being like? Oh well, what's his last name? Lieber, I think, or whatever John Stewart's actual last name is. You know, um, why don't you tell them what your real last name is? And definitely, like anti-Semites use that as uh, a cudgel because we know that, like, you know, a lot of uh, Jews in Hollywood didn't use their real names, right? Mel Brooks is Melvin Kaminsky, and and people like that. Well, it was um, my underst- it was my understanding that the reason that that happened was to because the there's the anti-Semitism in the culture to dodge that, right? Right. right. So it and, seems like a rational or like a, 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 a necessity of survival thing, a heartbreaking one, one that yes. I'm not advocating for, you know, no. I'm, but know. I'm it, saying it that. And then it was used by anti-Semites as a cudgel against those same Jews. 
So they had to change their names by necessity. And then anti-Semites caught on to that. And they're like, oh, well, you know who that really is. And that's when they started, you know, on Twitter, putting parentheses around the names of Jews to be like, oh, if you didn't know this person was a Jew, they are a Jew. So, but that that's something specific to Jewish culture, though, right? Like that's no, no, it's definitely it's not specific to Jewish culture to try and blend in to a society. It's uh, it's a matter of survival. It doesn't come from the culture or from uh, the religion in any way. I mean, it's just we've been persecuted and killed in every country that we lived in, and so by necessity for survival, a lot of people assimilate into those cultures. It's not. Uh, it's not like it's a Jewish value to assimilate. All right. I was trying to give, I was trying to draw the connection between superheroes are, are, should be thought of as Jewish. Well, there is that connection. You're absolutely right. There is, but it's not necessarily seen as a Jewish value. It's a Jewish, um, it's a thing people had to do. It's a, it's an unfortunate symptom or unfortunate result. So, you know, people like Siegel and Schuster who created Superman, you know, they create this very clear Moses allegory and they dress him up as the most American thing you possibly can be, which is a white guy from Kansas. Right. And, uh, he's the super friendly, handsome guy from Kansas and he steps in and he stops crime. Um, but somewhere inside of him, he is, uh, he's just, a, he's a guy who's a complete alien who, if they knew they wouldn't trust him. Right. Yeah. And you could, I, Batman, Spider-Man, I feel like also kind of fit into that, right? Like they, I agree. So I'll, I definitely agree with that. I don't think that it's, um, something to be lauded i don't think it's something that like mm. you know jews would be like ah yes you found a jewish thing i think it's something the jews have had to do is to assimilate someone like a john stewart having to be named john stewart right um because i don't know i remember there was um there was a special on comedy central years ago where they're doing like who are the hundred best comedians in the world or something and they had a panel talking about them and this elderly jewish a comic like Friars Club guy starts talking about John Stewart and he's like, and he's a handsome guy. You could put that guy on a horse and you'd believe it. Like he was saying, like it's, it's kind of troubling, right? He's saying like, Oh look, he's a passing Jew. He could pass as a, as a, as a white guy. He could pass as a, as part of the Christian hegemony, which is a little sad. Mm. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So in terms of Superman, I love Superman. I've always loved Superman. I think Superman is the opposite of Batman politically also. I think Superman would be your example of a really liberal superhero. You know, that is in its um in his origins is a very liberal kind of idea. Of- Even though Superman ends up being often like used I feel like by conservative or by right wing as like an example of American you know, imperialism right. and well, not even, yeah, I mean, and, and even just in like benevolent things, it's just like the idea of like America as, as the benevolent superpower. Yeah, but they also use Born in the USA for their campaign sh- songs, you know, yeah. uh, right wingers not understanding um, irony is, uh, is not a new thing. Yeah. Like clearly Superman is the, is the hero of the common man. He's a guy who has all the power in the world, but decides to use it to fight corruption and fight corporate greed and fight, you know, institutional um, kind of problems. 
you know, both as a, as a reporter and as a superhero. And I think that is definitely like a liberal fantasy as opposed to uh, Batman, which I think is a very conservative fantasy. Even though we both still like Batman. I like, I like all superheroes. I love, uh, I love it as a storytelling device. I think it's great. I got nothing against Batman and you know what conservatives, uh, I'll say something uh, real controversial. Uh, conservatism has a place in our society. I don't think that's you know. controversial. I mean, I, th- I think, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it does. I mean, there, there should be it not in the, not in the form that it has. It's taken in the, in the moment where there's no anything no to it. I mean, yeah. It's, it's just pure racist hatred. Uh, and and xenophobia and so forth, uh, white right. nationalism. Conservative uh, economic theories have a place in the debate. Right. I'm certainly as liberal as it comes, and I think liberal ideas have been shoved aside for too long, but I think conservatism has a place. Yeah. They should be heard at some point if we can get the conservative party to a place where, you know, they make sense again. Wait, so I want to I want to make sure that I'm not anti-Semitic when I uh, am talking about the Jewish connection to superheroes. So I want to make I want to make sure that I get it that I understand well, because I okay. think it's what, what I was what I'm trying to help me understand. It's cool to me. It's it's like a, this is something that's it's like this thing that everybody loves superheroes. It's this thing that that dominates the culture that that is aspirational and kids love it and there's a lot of good of it and it comes from this. It comes from a persecuted people pouring their, you know, hearts and dreams into these stories that end up having this wide resonance. That seems like a beautiful thing to me. Yeah. Um, but, but I also don't <laughs> like, I don't want to be perpetuating any anti-Semitic ideas or things like that. So I want to just make sure that, or, you know, I don't know. How do I, Good to write am I getting lost in there? Tightrope to walk. I, you know, I get that it's a tightrope. It's um, I think it's okay to historically recognize that you had people who had to assimilate and they are putting that idea into comics of these characters who have to assimilate for their safety or for the safety of their friends and loved ones. Right. Cause that's what the secret identity idea is, right? Why does, why is Superman um, not using Clark Kent as his name when he's flying around? Because he has a mom and, and papa back home. And uh, if he's flying around with a big CK on his chest, that puts them in danger, right? Um, and that is the essentially the idea of assimilation. That's why Jews assimilate to make sure that they and their families are safe. Because you know those Jews who are more visibly Jewish uh, are frequently in more danger. I think we see that in New York now with a lot of the physical attacks that go on uh, against the Orthodox community. Those who are more visibly Jewish uh, are are just, they're on the front lines of anti-Semitism, right? Um, and like, it's perfectly fine to recognize that connection, but I don't think the secret identity is the cool part. I think it's the thing that is, you know, it's really a shame that Spider-Man has to keep his face covered because, because that means that Peter Parker doesn't get any of the credit, right? Um, it's a, it's a sad thing that he has to have a secret, a secret identity. Hmm. Isn't it? I, I yeah, I guess that's true. I guess, but I, I, yeah, I guess that that's true. And I hadn't thought of it that way. Cause I think of it in the way of like, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to have a secret identity? Wouldn't it be cool to have like this alter ego? You know, I think that is part of the fantasy is like, you're this normal person, but you could have this alter ego. That's like, I mean, you could, you could code it 
as a as anything else i suppose as like yeah. a, as a desire of expression um you know there's 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 an aspect of that to where it like and they've they've always been so hesitant to like at all portray batman or anything in sort of a, a gay lens but it it's a it's an yeah, expression sure. this is a very dramatic expression of grief and trauma trying to manifest itself into a, a expression of hope is my read one of my reads on the character which is why i think it's fine to queer up the uh the batman or any of the superhero mythos because it's again that's it's a it's a it's a it's a that's another example of a secret identity of having to hide or assimilate and having this this secret side to yourself um so that's where i don't you know in the stories it certainly is like the batman part is so weird right because he doesn't really have loved ones right he's the guy who gets to put on this costume to escape consequences in a way, right? Like he's able the the putting on the costume gets him out of responsibility. Uh, you know, if Batman were a responsible person, if Bruce Wayne had been a responsible person, he would have joined the police or maybe joined uh, the FBI or Interpol or something, and he would fight crime uh, within the system, and he would be the best uh, agent the FBI has ever had, right? But he, uh, you know, he he doesn't have um, a father or mother or uh, or family. Uh, at some point, he gains Robin, and Alfred gets reframed as sort of a father figure. But for the most part, he's sort of this lone wolf, right? Mm-hmm. So I find that very interesting, and I definitely see the queer coding there. Of like, um, it's I get to express what I need to express. I, I have freedom when I put on this costume as opposed to I'm doing it to protect someone else. So, I mean, you know, every, every comic book character is different clearly. Um, and you can read whatever into it that you want to read into it. You can, uh, Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and every single character can be interpreted through a million different lenses. And that's part of what makes them so iconic and iconographic. And they're kind of ciphers for whatever writer wants to put something on them. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting to to break it down. Ashlyn, sorry, I haven't directly involved you in the conversation. Oh, that's okay. I actually have to to go, unfortunately. Um, well, our time is up on the early, podcast. It is it has officially been uh, the podcasting. Like, the, Gil, thanks for this. Thanks for having the conversation and hanging out with us. Thanks for listening, yeah. Ashlyn. Everything cool? Oh yeah, no, definitely. I um, oh, it's so a bachelor Zoom I have, party. I have to go watch the Bachelor. Oh my yeah. God. I'm so <laughs> sorry. That's the worst reason to have to exit a pod, but I host it and that's my yeah. trial in life. Um, Gil, this was great. Uh, I hope you had, did you have a, I have two final questions for you. First question. Do you feel better or worse having hung out with us for an hour? Oh, for sure. Better. Do you really? Got, got it. I got to get everything out of my system. Today we got to talk comics. We got to talk comedy. We got to talk Jewish stuff. So you know, it's all my things. That's great. I feel better Next for time talk to you. for an hour. And my second question is: Do you consent to releasing this unedited, everything included, uh, and putting it out into the world? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let people know what kind of garbage person I am. Why not? <laughs> well, they can they can they can see me make gaffes uh, or not see me. They can hear me make gaffes and then try to to understand. Uh, so maybe that's of a benefit to people, um, folks. This has been the show. Thank you for listening. We're just going to stop right here. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone.